What a great Easter it was, celebrating the resurrection of Christ and understanding how Jesus has promised to come back to pick up his family and to take us to be with him for all eternity brings us hope, particularly in situations where there's loss, disillusionment, disappointment, the pains that come with grief. Knowing that Jesus is coming back to take us to a perfect heaven, a perfect eternity with him. And knowing that when he comes back, he's going to bring our loved ones who have also trusted in Jesus, he's going to bring them with him. And as Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we will meet them and be with them in the air with him. Whatever we're going through in this moment is temporary by its, by its very nature. What God has in store for us is eternal by its very nature. And that's what we look forward to. That's what we anticipate. That's what brings us true hope. But the Apostle Paul, in his always very practical way of addressing issues in the church, wrote that in what we call 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but as he continues that letter to the church of Thessalonica in what we call 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in those first few verses of chapter 5, he addresses maybe the most difficult issue we have, and that is waiting for true hope. Now, some people are great at waiting. I have friends that are just by their very nature, calm and still and peaceful, and they can just wait. They, they can just sit there content and happy and wait. I'm not one of them. And so I don't necessarily completely understand them. I can appreciate them just like I appreciate a lot of people I don't understand. Because waiting for me is one of the most difficult things. I, I could give you a, a litany of scenarios that play out where I have to wait, and it drives me crazy. I don't want to wait. Delayed gratification, as important as it is, is not one of my skills. If I'm, if I'm wanting something new, I want it now. If I'm hungry, I'm hungry now. I, I literally cringe at the obstacles that are in life, like stoplights. There's nothing worse than waiting through a stoplight. The one that goes into our neighborhood is terrible. If you miss the left turn light, you sit there while it individually cycles everybody who's going straight. And then everybody who's going straight on the other side. And then everybody who wants to turn left from the two cross lanes and then everybody who wants to go straight and I'm just sitting there thinking I am wasting my life it's limited in nature there's a short period of time here and I am spending it at this stoplight it was so bad the other day we were going home to eat lunch after church and my daughter was in her car behind me, and we're driving down the feeder, headed back south to our house. And, and um, as we're going, I'm not sure exactly what happened. I don't know if some, I'm sitting at a stoplight, and, and I don't know if, I think it was somebody was coming from the other direction and turned into the intersection and headed down. Instinctually, without looking at the light or doing anything, 
I just hit the gas. I mean, they, if they're moving my direction, whoa, see? I, I just hit the gas and I go. And then I glance up and realize, oh, it's still red. And I slam on my brakes. And then, like all good dads, I immediately looked in my rearview mirror to see if she noticed. And of course she noticed. She's in her car back there laughing. And I'm thinking, I'm going I'm to hear this when we get to the house. And I didn't hear it just on Sunday. I heard it on Tuesday night. And I heard it on Thursday. I'll probably hear it today at lunch. Remember how dad started to run that red light? I just don't like to wait. And so... It's helpful to me that the Apostle Paul addresses this unique scenario. True hope is because of Jesus and the transformative work he does in our heart. And it's such true hope that we live with an anticipation of his return that's going to make everything perfect, take us to his house where there's no more tears, no more crying, no more mourning. All the grief, all the pain, all the difficulty of this world will be gone. But we're still here in the meantime, waiting for that hope. And Paul addresses that. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, he says about times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them. Like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. This moment's coming, we're waiting for this moment, and as a result, one of the ways we wait is with a sense of preparation. We, we wait with preparedness. There are ways, I'm not gonna go into details, that we prepare to protect ourselves and to give ourselves security so that in the middle of the night when that thief inappropriately violates our private property, there are actions that can be taken to defend ourselves and to defend our property. We wait when your wife becomes pregnant, a husband begins the most difficult nine months journey of his life, waiting. We don't get a thing. It's a ripoff. We don't feel. Our bodies don't change unless we sympathetically eat along with our wives. We just wait and wait and wait. We have no way to really predict. We go to the doctor's appointments and we watch the sonograms and, and we see the growth of that new child. But we're, we're, we're wanting to outfit you know, I'm, I'm wanting to figure out what his first shotgun's going to look like. I'm wanting to figure out exactly what I want to buy her, how I get her camel clothes. And, and I'm just waiting and waiting. One child was due on Christmas Day. I thought it would be really cool to have a child on Christmas Day. I love Christmas, as many people do. I anticipate it, look forward to it all year long. Um, I don't know why I thought it would be cool for a pastor to have a child on Christmas Day because the Christmas season is our worst. And on Christmas Day, um, I'm about as exhausted and wiped out as I possibly can be. Um, I wanted to get married on Christmas Day. Fortunately, my mother-in-law, who was a pastor's child, won that case and we backed it off a full week because I'm so patient and we got married on January 5th instead of on Christmas Day, which was good. At least I have about a week and a half in there to rest up before my anniversary. So Christmas Day that year, we're out doing everything we had prepared to do. I'm feeding her everything that might 
speed this process up. Every hour, we're, we're too bored, we're too anxious sitting around the house, we can't stand it, and so every hour we're walking or like the dog. Come on. Does this hurt? Are there twinges? How are you feeling? Are we gonna, is it going to happen? Midnight comes Christmas Day and nothing happens. She decided to wait till the 27th of December. I was still thankful and I was still great, but grateful, but waiting is hard. Prepare ourselves mentally and emotionally to wait. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, and that's the whole point of what Paul says here. We don't know, but we need to always be ready. We can predict, and we can look at times and signs and circumstances and anticipate, but in reality, just like that thief that comes in the middle of the night when nobody's awake and nobody is actually aware and and is sensitive to the situation, that's when he's going to show up. And just like that pregnancy, when you least expect it, no matter how much you want it, no matter what you desire, no matter how much you're waiting for it, it's going to happen. It's going to take place. Wait with a sense of preparedness. Take this time to understand who we are as believers in Christ. Take this time to understand who our family is. Spend time together. I love how the author of Hebrews said that to the church. He said, in light of the bad times, in light of these difficult circumstances, spend time together. Don't stop meeting. This is the time to meet because you need one another. It's easier to wait with friends. It's easier to be prepared if we have a a procedure of training and education and help and assistance and conversation and prayer and support. Wait with a sense of preparedness. But also, Paul says, wait with allegiance. He says, but you, the family of God, brothers and sisters, you're not in the dark so that this day is to surprise you like a thief. In fact, you are children of light and children of the day. This is verses four and five. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. If we're waiting, wait with allegiance. Know whose team we're on. It frustrates me so much. Here we are back in baseball season and everybody knows how much I like the Astros and how much I love watching them, particularly when they win, which they haven't done the last two days. And I'm thinking maybe we should just have a time of prayer right in the middle of service. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're warming up right now and they're saying their prayers and, and they definitely need to win this afternoon. Um, there's, that, there's that sense of who you belong to. And so I'm frustrated. I'm watching the game last night and, and we're not winning once again. I'm frustrated in that scenario, frustrated in that situation, and so, so I'm looking at it, and then they show a former Astro and his wife who are sitting there watching the current Astros, but not because they're Astros, but because their son plays on the opposing team. That's bad enough that their son got drafted to the wrong team, but in addition to that, he leans over to talk to his buddy, and his buddy is wearing an Oakland Ace cap. Why are you at Minute Maid Park with an Oakland A's cap? <laughs> Last week, a foul ball went off over to fast third, dropped into the stands, and the guy catches it, and they zoom in on him, and they make a big deal because the guy goes like this. He catches the ball, and then he holds his jersey up. And it's the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> I'm like, how did he get through the door? I mean, I'm personally in favor that when I own the Astros 
Opposing jerseys will not be allowed in the stadium. There's just a certain exclusiveness that needs to take place in our world of inclusiveness. But in all seriousness, we should look like and act like the one we belong to. We don't belong to the night. We belong to the day. Jesus has given us an internal light that glows and illuminates our lives and emanates out from our lives so that as Jesus himself taught all the disciples one afternoon, don't bury it, don't hide it, don't put it away, but take that light, mount it, properly set it so that everyone can see. Put it on the hilltop, not in the valley. Put it out on the stand, not in the closet. Make it clear while we're waiting who we belong to. I belong to Jesus first and foremost. And I'm waiting for Jesus. I'm not waiting for a philosophy. I'm not waiting for an ideology. I am not waiting for some kind of construct of intellectual assumptions or historical facts. I am waiting for a personal God who personally changed my life and his name's Jesus and I'm his son, I'm his brother, I am his in relationship with him and I'm waiting for Jesus That's who's coming back for me, Jesus. And I need to look and act like I'm his best friend. We wait with a sense of being prepared. We wait with allegiance. We wait with purpose. Look at down at verse six. So then, let us not sleep like all the rest. And of course, none of this is physical. All of this is metaphorical. It doesn't have anything to do with physical realities. It has everything to do with metaphorical realities because obviously we can't neglect to sleep. Let us not sleep like the rest. But let us, and this is where our hearts come in and our minds come in, let us stay awake. Let us be self-controlled. For those who sleep, those who slumber, those who, are, those who are lazy in nature, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night, these behaviors that deny our allegiance, we do all of these things that don't demonstrate who we're waiting for. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Let us put on the armor of faith and the armor of love and the helmet, a part of that armor, of the hope of salvation. Let our lives be characterized by self-control. Let our lives be characterized by an awareness and an awakeness that anticipates and understands what God's doing and how we can participate in that. Let our lives be obviously ones of faith. There's nothing embarrassing about living by faith. We've been, we've been somehow sensitized sometimes in our culture to think that we need to have an explanation for everything. But the bottom line is, no matter how much we analyze, put it all together and put it into place, which we can do in Christianity, we can prove everything, but the bottom line is, at some point, I just have to trust Jesus. I just have to have faith. And I shouldn't be ashamed of that. It should be a clear part of my waiting that I have faith. I don't have the answers for everything that's happening. I don't have the the solutions for everything that's taking place. But I have faith. I have faith in a God who changed my life and and tells me he can change the world. And tells me that my faith has the ability to move and work in those circumstances. After all, Jesus told his disciples, you can, out of your faith, speak to this mountain, tell it to move, 
and it can move. Again, not a physical reality, but we are all facing obstacles that by faith, we need to watch God clear the path. We need God to level the hills so that we can do that and live that. Don't be embarrassed by faith. Don't be embarrassed by love. Put this on as an armor, visible for everyone to see. Obviously, Paul is probably thinking, just like the other illustrations in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 10 and in Ephesians chapter 6, other illustrations that talk about the armor of God and the way it looks. The Roman guards that wore this armor in the presence of the Jews that Paul was intimately familiar with as a citizen of Rome, it declared the glory of Rome. There was no embarrassment about being a Roman soldier. There should be no embarrassment about being a Christian. Culture has attempted to do that to us, and in many ways they have been successful, but I'm gonna tell you, we should stand with pride and we should let it shine, and it should be obvious we are believers in Jesus, we live by faith, we practice and demonstrate love in all of our relationships and in everything that we do. We are self-controlled, we have these things going on, there is purpose in our lives, and that purpose is at its heart, the hope of salvation. We made the decision to believe that Jesus' pathway for sins to be forgiven was an accurate and completely acceptable pathway. And we asked him, Lord, I can't do anything about these problems. I can't do anything about this sin. I have sinned beyond the ability to have a right relationship with you. So Jesus, forgive me. Take my sin and remove it. Pay that debt that I can't pay. I don't need to be ashamed of that. I don't need to be ashamed that I walk as an imperfect person, but that in my imperfection, I walk as a forgiven person. I live out that reality of my salvation each and every day. God didn't leave us here without a purpose. He gave us all types of instructions about how we should live our lives. He gave us all types of instructions about what we're supposed to be doing, who we're supposed to be talking to. He gave us authority to do these things. Jesus' final words, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. The church has been given to you that you might go into all the world and make disciples. Teaching those disciples how to teaching those believers how to live in obedience to his words and celebrating together when somebody makes the decision to say, yes, I trust in Jesus and celebrating that publicly together in baptism. We've got baptisms scheduled, I think, literally every month, every week in May, we have baptisms scheduled. People who have said, first and foremost, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I believe Jesus has forgiven me. And now I want to follow scripture. I want to follow the teachings that are obvious in Jesus' life and obviously in the book of Acts, the history of the early church. I want to follow that and be baptized. And every week in May, we'll be up, somebody will be in the baptism, and we will celebrate that baptism that demonstrates physically the transformation that took place internally, that my life is buried in Christ and I have risen, I have literally resurrected with Jesus to a new life. If I'm gonna wait, let me wait with a sense of purpose because God has called us. We're here for a purpose and Jesus is coming back because he wants to be with us but he's given us a task 
And that's how we live. I love how Paul describes it to the Ephesian elders. He's headed back to Jerusalem. Things don't go, look good. It's not going to be a favorable reception in Jerusalem. And Paul looks at those elders out of Ephesus that so deeply loved him, so deeply cared for him, so deeply want him to even stay with them. And he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. This is not the stoplight. I mean, I realize stoplights have purpose. I don't want to sound completely lawless at this point. I realize there's a purpose. But I'm not idly waiting. I am, I am here with you every Sunday. I am, I am here Monday through Saturday along with the rest of our staff and a lot of our leadership teams and we are making plans and doing things. We're going to celebrate and look at some of those plans we've been working all winter on, on finding an architect and engaging that architect and, and looking at what that architect can do and start making plans for the new campus that will let us have the tools to reach a current generation of people who are rapidly moving into our community. Every day the population explodes in this area every day people needing a place where they can worship Jesus where they can hear from the people of that place that Jesus can change lives we're nowhere near being free of the responsibility or the purpose to consider our lives worth nothing to ourselves but to do all that we can to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given us the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace and we're prepared in 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 an amazing way for the future. And we'll talk about that this afternoon at five. We'll spend some time together. We have purpose. There's nothing idle about who we are as the Christian church. We have purpose. And then I think this is important. We have security. God did not, in verse nine, appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. There's security in this relationship. I'm not saying I don't doubt sometimes. I'm not saying that in the frustration of waiting, there aren't moments that are confusing and and moments that are a little more difficult to process, particularly related to what Paul has said in chapter four about grief. There are hard moments But I just every once in a while I need to stop like we did in the lyrics to many of the songs we sang this morning. I need to stop and look at passages of scripture like this and I just need to remind myself. As a believer in Jesus, Jesus again told the disciples one afternoon they're together and maybe they're beginning to doubt and maybe they're beginning to question what this is all about and Jesus' response is real simple. He says, your father... Our heavenly father holds us in his hand. And no one can remove us. God holds my hand with such a secure grip that no one can take that away from me. And in reality, what I've learned over the decades is simply this. I can't even take it away. God holds me. I am as secure as I possibly can be in this fallen world because God's holding me. 
That's why the Apostle Paul declared to the church at Rome that there is nothing, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For nothing can separate us from the love of God. No height, no depth, no width, no breadth, nothing that's ever been created, no, no demon or principality, nothing above, nothing below in the pits of hell. There is nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of Jesus the Christ. Nothing. So I'm secure. I wait with a sense of assurance. And then again, just like last week, Paul concludes this paragraph by simply saying, now, now you think through these things, you think through being prepared, you think through who your, who your allegiance is to, who, whose jersey are you gonna wear this week? You think through that pops of the purpose and what am I gonna do this week? Who am I gonna talk to? How am I gonna help somebody meet this Jesus I so deeply love? And I'm so secure. No matter what happens this week, I am still in good hands. All of that, Paul says, look, when you do get together, just encourage one another and build each other up. I've been at this long enough. I can say candidly, if not even bluntly, I am so tired of hearing about churches that tear one another down whether it's church against church or it's church members within a church, I'm just tired of it. We have created a culture. It's in our value statement of authentic relationships because, as our value statement says, we want to live the biblical life accurately. You cannot live a biblical life accurately if you refuse to love the people the Bible puts you in relationship with. It doesn't make sense, and it's nothing but heartbreak, not just to the church, but to the whole world. Many of us put off making the decision to trust in Jesus because of the things we saw in churches. Just keep loving one another. Keep encouraging one another. And I love Thessalonians. I love Thessalonica as a church because Paul says, you're doing this stuff already. it's, It's already taking place. You've already done these things, but don't slack off. While you're waiting, don't forget. Everybody's waiting with you. And let's just encourage one another and let's build one another up. There's so much in this sinful fallen life that will tear us apart and tear us down. There ought to be one safe place. And I believe that one safe place is supposed to be the church. This is the place we can be loved. This is the place we can be encouraged. And this is the place we can build one another up. And I want to emphasize that last phrase, as you're already doing. Because almost any time a pastor says something like this, there's always somebody that's going, oh my gosh, there must be some problems. He wouldn't be addressing this so strongly if, if there weren't problems. There's, there's no problems that I'm aware of in our congregation, but we are an influence to the rest of the world. What is true here should become true in all the sister churches in the region of Tombaugh. What is true here and is a every Sunday experience for us should be true for all churches. In whatever degree we can influence the body of Christ to love one another and to build one another up, we should be doing. 
We're not going to give up the orthodoxy of our faith, the fundamentals of our faith. But most of our arguments are never about the fundamentals of our faith. They're about the peripheries of our experience. And that's not what Jesus is worried about. Jesus holds our heart. And he wants our heart to be pure and ready when he comes back. We're a bride. We're a bride standing in the lobby, waiting for the ushers to open the door and to step into the auditorium and see our groom standing there, tears in his eye. We're so excited to see us and live life with us. That's who the church is. And Jesus is our groom and he loves us and he cares for us and he holds us and he secures us. He just wants us to be excited when he comes back. Live every day as our spiritual wedding day. And the truth is Jesus coming back is going to be so much better than anybody's wedding day. It's a phenomenal moment that will take place when Jesus comes for us, his bride, his church, his people, his children, his family. Until then, we wait together.